We love you, Father. We honor and praise you, Father. We glorify you, Father. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on. Come on. Let's move into the spirit. Let's move into the spirit. Come on, let's bring our minds and spirits, thoughts to church. Let's bring them here into this room now. Jesus' name. Let's get our minds off the past, the present, or the future. Let's fix our minds on Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. hallelujah. Yellow Borutahai at a Mamaki City Calarada Bahaya Robocura Bahai Eledia Ramahaye Alarata Tatabahaya Shatahaya Shatahaya Ledia Catahaya Halarotolorobocura Tabahaye Sikiela Bahai Alaretti Larada Batahaya Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Yamai, Yamai, Yamahasai, 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 
Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. You may be seated. God bless you. Praise God. We will, we will periodically through the day stop and spend time in prayer. The Spirit of the Lord doesn't leave because we start listening instead of praying. In fact, most of us, well, that's, let me rephrase that. Many people uh, do not understand that true prayer has to be two-way communication. If prayer is not two-way communication, then it's not prayer. And because we have learned to pray from a religious perspective, we think we have to be talking all the time to be praying. How can God speak to us if we're talking all the time? So shouldn't prayer be seasons of us talking to him and then seasons of him talking to us where we we close our mouths and listen? <laughs> shouldn't that be the case? But many of us are not comfortable with that because we have been consciously or subconsciously conditioned to believe that if we're not talking, we're not praying. Praise God. I mentioned last night about the two, the two dimensions of prayer. In the first dimension, the Lord and I are talking to each other about me. In, my, in the second dimension, I'm not talking to God. I'm letting him pray through me, whether in the language of my mind or the language of my spirit or alternating back and forth between the two as Paul taught in 1 Corinthians 14. But he is speaking through me. He is praying through me. And I'll get into that more uh, that's not really the direction I feel specifically to go this morning. Um, I have, uh, we, we, we came here in March of 2011 at Brother Willoughby's invitation to do a manifest meeting. That turned out to be the ma last manifest meeting and the first call to war. It just somewhere in the middle of that meeting, it just switched. And I've been doing call to war ever since that meeting. And it started right here in Singapore. And uh, I have done five uh, seminars, call to war seminars at home. 2011, 2012, 13, 14, and then 15. Those are four hours, uh, four, four nights and three days. And... Uh, the daytime sessions aren't four hours. The daytime sessions are closer to six to seven hours, sometimes eight hours, and then the evening, of course. So we're actually in session in those uh, 
those seminars, not counting the first night, like last night, we're actually in session anywhere from uh, eight to ten hours a day as we are uh, praying and, and uh, ministering and praying for one another and warring in, in prayer. And in those five seminars, uh, I have taught an average of 25 to 30 hours a week. And very little of the material has been repeated. So almost every one of those seminars, the material is essentially new from any of the other seminars. So you understand that my goal in coming here to you is to let the Spirit of the Lord sift through all of that stuff and let Him choose what I actually cover in this meeting. I know that some of you have watched, a couple of you have actually been in a call to war, and some of you have watched them online. So you understand that because I'm trying to hear what the Spirit says and repeat that. Hear and repeat. That's what ministry is. It's not mind thinking up what to say. It's Spirit listening to the Lord and saying it. Hear and repeat. Because I'm trying to do that, there are occasions, just like in the Bible where Jesus talked about essentially the same stuff on more than one occasion, I don't worry about somebody saying, well, I've heard you say that before. No, you heard the Lord have me say that before, and he just had me say it again. So I don't put myself under any pressure to, to, to not say something that he's the Lord said through me before. It's not my decision. Okay, so again, what we're trying to do here is... Uh, we're trying to let the Lord speak to us here and now what we need to hear here and now. And uh, I don't know that there will ever be a time that I will have the opportunity to exhaust the subject. Since the word is eternal, how do you in a finite setting exhaust the infinite? So I'm not attempting to do that. Praise God. Uh, I don't know why God has chosen me to do this. I don't consider myself an expert on the subject. I try to learn something about this every day. I'm trying to learn every day. So please don't, don't assume or presume that I think I know everything there is to know about this subject, and I'm an expert. I am not. I don't know anybody that can be an expert on God. A finite mind can never be an ex can never be expert about the infinite. Ever. The finite mind can never be expert about the infinite. But like David. I have hid his word in my heart and continue to do so on a daily basis as he leads me in new things and he gives me new things. And I hide all of that in here. And then when it comes time to minister, I let him bring out of that what he wants to say. 
So that's why you're not being handed a syllabus for this seminar. And that's why I don't really know the details of where we're going today. He gives me a direction, and I start down that path, and where he takes us is where I go. Now, I already can feel that some of you have been trained differently than that. You've been taught to put your sermon together with your introduction and your three points and your illustrations and your conclusions, and that's wonderful. I can show you my method in the Bible. Show me yours. I can show you what I've been taught and what I practice in the Bible. Show me your method in the Bible. Now, do you have to decide whether you want to be religious or apostolic? And they are not the same thing. In fact, quite honestly, I don't really care for the word Pentecostal. Because there are a lot of people who are Pentecostal uh, that believe all kind of different things. I am apostolic. But I'm not just apostolic in doctrine. I desire to be apostolic in concept, in principles, in life, in dedication, in practice. They are my example. Jesus said they were my example. Praise God. So we're going to talk about some things today. In fact, uh, I, I, I'm going to stop here a moment and we're going to pray for everyone that is, has been, and will be doing interpreting in this meeting. We're going to pray that the same flow and anointing that God gives me, he will give to them. Because I am not an easy person to interpret for. Because there's no such thing, in my opinion, as going too deep. And it's not always easy to interpret things when they get really deep. Especially if what's being interpreted, what you're called on to interpret, is not exactly something you have some experience with or you're familiar with and I'm not saying the, the precious ones that are doing the interpreting have or haven't but I have been in situations where someone was interpreting for me or people were interpreting for me where they they didn't have a clue what I was talking about and it made it very difficult for them to interpret what I was saying because they didn't understand what I was saying and so that, that makes it difficult so I felt to do this last night and didn't, and I apologize, uh, but we're going to pray right now. This is very critical. Those of you that can understand the English, God bless you, but there's some wonderful people that have made a great effort to get here that cannot be fully benefited by this meeting if, if there's not a, a free connection and flow between what the Spirit's given me to say and those who are, the, who are willingly taking on the responsibility to try to communicate that to those uh, who need it interpreted. So let's do that. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus, Father, I come to you for every person 
that has, it is, or will be interpreting in this meeting. In Jesus' name, I send the spirit of this ministry upon each one of them right now. Let this spirit come upon them in Jesus' name. Let the, the spirit of revelation and understanding come to them so that they can fully and completely interpret those things that are being said that need to be said in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that everyone might receive all that you have for them. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. The Lord bless you. I deeply, deeply appreciate those of you that are, that are serving as interpreters. It is a tremendous challenge, and it cannot be done intellectually. I mean, technically it can be, but it really can't be. It has to be done spiritually. We have to allow the Lord to supernaturally empower us to do that. So thank you for that. Uh, I'm, this is just introductory, and, and this is not where I'm going. This is just introduction to where the Lord is sending me today to, in ministry to you. But the conflict between man and uh, the adversary and his angels began in the garden. This is not a new conflict. The Lord said to both the woman and to the serpent that there would be enmity, hostility between their seed for the rest of time. The Lord said to the woman, uh, to the, the serpent, you will bruise the, the heel of the woman's seed, but her seed shall bruise your head. And Paul actually says to the church that the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. So he, re he made it very clear who we are. We are the woman's seed. And I don't mean mankind in general, but the church of the living God is the woman's seed in that prophecy. Most men in our world are not, are not even attempting to participate in the hostility. They are already prisoners of war and they are not fighting and resisting against the adversary. Now the difference between a prisoner of war and a citizen of another country is the citizen is free to conduct themselves under the authority and the exercise of that government, whatever restrictions the government puts on you. But a prisoner of war hasn't become a citizen of that country, but a prisoner of war has to depend on his captors to provide for his daily needs. So when a child of God 
allows themselves to become a captive, and Paul warns us against becoming a captive, our Heavenly Father is no longer our source of supply. Whether we are consciously aware of it or not, we're allowing the devil to provide for us whatever he wills, small or great. Sometimes he provides for us stuff that we don't need. He will give us all kind of things. You say, well, if the devil is my source of supply, he's going to starve me to death. Oh, no, 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 no. He wants you to be as prosperous as you can be. He wants you to be as full as you can be. He wants you to be as content as you can be. Then you won't be dissatisfied with being his prisoner. And if you can be satisfied with things, you're never going to be a child of God. We cannot serve God and mammon. We will choose one or the other. And the God of this world is also the God of mammon. The things of this world. That's why Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of his, of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Because we don't seek the things of this world. My Father knows what I have need of. So if I seek the kingdom of God, he will add to me what I need and what he wants me to have. Was it Solomon that prayed this way, I think? Don't let me be uh, poor lest I am hungry and curse you. And don't let me be rich lest I'm full and forget you. So my father knows what my spirituality can handle. He knows whether I need little or much. He knows how much to give me. The adversary either wants me to be very poor or very rich. So I either curse God or I'm full and forget God. If I am his captor and he is my source of supply, you can count on a lot of things going right for you that haven't gone right until the judgment. So we have to understand, that's why Paul said, endure hardness as a good soldier. Now I was in the Navy. I wasn't in the Army. I wasn't in the United States Marine Corps. Those guys live in the dirt and the, and the dust and the mud and the heat and the cold. On board a Navy ship, you're in heated and air-conditioned spaces and you eat good cooked food, whatever. So uh, I don't fully understand the hardness part because I wasn't a soldier. I was a sailor. But the difference is, of course, the hardness even for a sailor is... You have to sometimes put duty ahead of even family. And that's probably the greatest sacrifice that any military person makes. And so while I love my wife and I love my sons and I love my seven grandchildren, there are times like right now that I am not with my sons and their wives and my grandchildren and the church that my wife and I was used to establish 45 years ago. We're not there. We are here. And I don't mean this offensively, but from a natural standpoint, it is a sacrifice to be here. 
At 70 years of old, I've tra- of age, I've traveled as much as I want to travel for me. I don't want to travel for me anymore. I don't, you know, <laughs> I don't. This is like my sixth or seventh, eighth trip. I don't remember to Singapore. I told Pastor Lee uh, yesterday, guess how many pictures of Singapore I've taken this trip? Not one. Why? Is it no longer beautiful? Oh, it's still beautiful, but I've taken so many pictures in the past, I don't see anything I haven't taken a picture of already. So I'm not traveling because I want to see the world. I'm traveling because I'm sent here as a faithful soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, there is a hardness in that for me. It's costing me something. My oldest grandchild just turned 19 last Sunday. We weren't home for her birthday. I have another grandchild that his birthday's the week, uh, the week I get home next week. I have a 19-year-old grandchild and one that's going to be four in a couple of months. And that's the span of them. And they're all different and I'm missing things. And worse than that, grandmother is missing things. <laughs> Nobody fully prepared me. For living with a grandmother. (laughs) Nobody. Nobody explained that to me. I learned something new about grandmothers every day. It's a great challenge. I mean, I'm studying and praying this morning and... And I'm just waiting on God. And she said, do you have a chance to look look at something for me? And I said, well, yeah. She brings me her iPad and she says, which of these two swing sets is better? <laughs> oh, so the swing set we've got in our backyard for the grandchildren is gotten, yeah, it's, it's, yeah it needs to be replaced. Sure, <laughs> whatever you say. So it's a sacrifice for her to be here. But it's a privilege to be a part of what God's doing. Now, I'm not making the sacrifice that a brother Corbin is making or even the, the brother sister Clement and whatever, you know. But I, they have grandchildren other places. Not yet. You got children other places? Okay, so I know a lot of missionaries that almost never get to see their children and grandchildren. What a sacrifice. So we're, what, what is it? Why is this important? It's important because we're in a conflict. We're not in a conflict over power. We're not in a conflict over who wins over who's got the true doctrine. We're not in a conflict over which of our personal gods is going to be supreme we are in a conflict for the lost souls of mankind we're in a conflict over the destination of the lost souls of mankind and the verse i quoted last night that says if our gospel be hid 
It is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded, spiritually blinded their minds, so that they cannot believe. What does that mean? Do you think there's anybody in this world that's willingly spiritually blind? If there is, it's very few. Most people that are spiritually blind don't know they're spiritually blind. Because if they knew they were spiritually blind, they wouldn't willingly choose to be spiritually blind. But the, So the problem is this. If you are spiritually blind, you don't have the ability to free yourself from that blindness. Somebody, the people that have the authority and the ability to do that, has the responsibility to pray and deliver those people from the spirit of blindness. You may or may not have heard the name, but a great, great prophet of God in the United States that, well, out throughout the world that uh, uh, passed away a few years ago at age 92. His name was Brother T.W. Barnes. He said to me personally, and I've heard him say it publicly, that the lost can't even decide whether or not they want to get saved until somebody prays the blindness off of them. That's the conflict. My God is a God of light. Satan is a God of darkness and blindness. My God is a God of revelation. He brings understanding and revelation to us. But the adversary wants to bind and blind people so that they cannot be saved. They cannot rescue themselves. They cannot free themselves and whether it's political ideologies they're blinded by or culture that they're blinded by or false religion that they're blinded by the eternal consequence is still the same still the same and I realize a lot of people have a, different, a lot of different opinions about hell, but I'm here to tell you something right now. Jesus talked eight times more about hell than he did heaven. Count the verses up. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He referred to hell eight times more than he did heaven. Why? He wasn't threatening people, do what I say or I'm going to send you to hell. He was pleading them with them not to go there. That's why his message was a message of good news. Not a, he didn't bully people with hell. He pleaded with them not to go and told them how they could not go to hell. Because hell is forever. Forever. It's not even comprehensible. That, that somebody will be in such a place of torment that it is intellectually impossible to accurately describe it and they're going to be there forever. But here's the problem. Let me tell you why you're saved. You say, oh, I'm saved so I can go to heaven. Really? If that's why you're saved, what are you sitting here for? Because if you're saved to go to heaven, how come you're not already in heaven? Aren't you saved? If the only reason the Lord saved me was so I could go to heaven and not hell, then why am I still breathing? Why did he leave me here? He didn't leave me here because I'm saved just to be saved. 
But I'm saved to be a part of his plan, a part of his purpose in the earth. I'm saved to be a part of his kingdom. I'm saved because of all those people out there that cannot save themselves. So the Lord can use you and I to minister to them so they can be saved. Because they cannot be saved by themselves. You say, preacher, I don't believe that. I'm going to tell you right now. The Lord is the Savior, but you can't be saved. If, you, if you're apostolic, you preach a doctrine that can't be fulfilled without man being involved in. You can repent anytime, place, by yourself. You don't need a preacher or a church for that. You can receive the Holy Ghost anytime, place. I know people that have received the Holy Ghost in all kinds of situations. But in between repentance and water baptism, or, or, or baptism of the Holy Ghost is water baptism. And because it's the burial of the old man so that you can be resurrected in newness of life, dead people can't bury themselves. So if you've truly repented, you've died out to self. So you now need to be buried. You can't bury yourself. You can't go to a river and baptize yourself. You can't do it. Somebody else has got to Put you in the spiritual grave, which is water baptism. That means a man's got to be involved. So God cannot save the lost by himself. Well, that's, that's heresy, brother, right? No, it's not heresy if the Lord is the one that made that decision. If the Lord is the one that made that decision... If he's the one that limited himself to include water baptism in the plan and and that a man had to be involved with water baptism, if God is the one that made that decision, it's not heresy. And you know what? This is not the time or place. But if you don't believe that, give me your scriptures. I got mine. I'd be happy to debate you on that one because that one's easy. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Do you think a person can be saved outside the kingdom of God? Not today. Not in this day and time. That's why, that's why when you are born again, you're born into the kingdom. And if you want to be saved, you've got to be in the kingdom. And to be in the kingdom, you've got to be water baptized and spirit baptized. But now that you're in the kingdom, what are you going to do about it? That's what we're here to talk about. Being a part of the kingdom. Being involved in the kingdom. So it started all the way back in the garden. The enmity between man and the adversary. I'm going to make a statement to you that you may struggle with when I first say it. But if you'll give me a moment, I think I can help you to see it. God and the devil are not enemies. God is infinite. He fills all space. The devil is a finite being. He is not capable of being God's enemy. Well, is he on God's side? I didn't say that. How can finite oppose 
infinite. Now, you and I, we're, we're, we're living in old clay vessels, these old, these old fleshly bodies. Okay? The adversary was made out of the substance of God. He is a spirit being. He is very wise and very smart. And he's not stupid enough to think that he can, can up, up personally oppose God. He doesn't directly oppose God. He opposes God in us. He opposes us giving ourselves to God. So he opposes all that is called God in my life. But he can't oppose God because the enmity is between man and the devil. The war between between God and the devil's already been won. There was war in heaven, and he lost, and he was cast out of heaven. End of story. It's over with. There's no more to say. He can't defeat God, never did defeat God. That war was fought and done. It's over with. So on this earth, he is not directly fighting God. How can I prove that? Job, it's the throne room. God's sitting on the throne. And whatever business the Lord's doing, here comes Lucifer. Where have you been? Oh, I've been going to and fro throughout the earth. What you doing? Well, you know, just doing what a good devil would do. I'm paraphrasing now. He said, well, have you considered my servant Job? And the devil says, yeah. I thought about him, but you got him so protected, it's, no, it's worthless me even try. So I'm causing trouble other places because you won't give me access to him. But if you let me touch him, he'll curse you. And the Lord said, okay. Here's what you can do. Here's what you can't do. And you're afraid of the devil? There's nothing that can be done against me and my walk with God that's not limited by God for his purposes. So whether it's done by government or peoples or banks or... (laughs) Whatever power may be trying to work against me, none of those things have any power to affect me as a child of God except by directly by permission of the Lord. And what they can do is always limited. So he lost all of his children. Job lost all of his children. He lost all of his cattle, oxen, camels, all that. And, uh, but he didn't curse God. And so here's another day. The Lord's on his throne, and here comes the devil. Where you been? Going to and fro. How'd that go with Job? Well, you didn't let me go far enough. If you'd let me do more than just take his stuff, he'll curse you. The Lord said, okay, you can do this more, but you can't do any more than that. You can touch his body, you can't take his life. What I'm saying to you is, that's why the scripture says, and we know that all things, Romans 8, 28, 
all things work together for good to them who love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now notice, please, in this conflict we're in, we're at spiritual war. It's a spiritual conflict between God and his, his forces and the adversary and his powers. In this conflict, there's only a limited number of people that can say that all things work together for good. The whole world can't say that. And unfortunately, the whole church can't say that. Because the two qualifications for being able to believe that is you have to love God and you have to be given over to His purposes, not your own. So if you love God, and you have surrendered to the call for his purposes, then you can have the confidence that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We have a man that's on our church staff. He has been on our church staff for 20 years or so. And... uh <laughs> he his daughter got uh cancer and we prayed for her for 2 years and she passed away and they have grieved he and his wife have grieved over the loss of this daughter but the lord spoke to me The daughter died saved. But if God had answered our prayers and healed her, she would have ended up lost. And I won't go into all the details why that was would be the case, but it was. Because she was very successful in the business world, even as a young lady after got out of college. And business and making money and advancement became more important than Jesus. And so she got involved with that. And her walk with God waned. But when she got cancer, she got right with God. And the last two years of her life, she lived faithfully for the Lord. But we had no guarantee. And the Lord said it wouldn't have happened. That if he had healed her, she would not. Things would have go, she'd have gone back like what she was. She'd have ended up in eternity, in hell for eternity. But see, we don't see all of that. We want what we want here. We want what we want now. We don't see the big picture. We see our own little picture. Hezekiah was one of the greatest kings in the history of Israel. The prophet was sent to him, you're going to die. Get your house in order. But when the prophet left the room, Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and said, I'm not ready to die. I don't want to die. And God turned the prophet around and sent him back. And said, okay. I'm going to add 15 years to his life, your life. Hear me. 
If he would have died when God said for him to die, he would have died one of the greatest kings in the history of Israel. But those 15 years that God tried to spare him from, he became one of the greatest embarrassments in all of the history of Israel. Because he didn't listen to God. He didn't trust the Father, knew best for him. We're in a conflict. It is a conflict. It is a battle. It's a battle. Some days the battle is more intense than other days. Some days the, ba- the battle is, it, it is more demanding and takes more out of us than other days. Some days the battle doesn't seem to be all that difficult. Because all war is like that. No war is fought in a firefight, it was the terminology, military terminology, all the time. Firefights don't last that long. When two forces actually engage each other on the field of battle, the actual firefight doesn't last long. And in this modern day, it doesn't last hardly very long at all. But the soldiers that are in that place are at war. And so there are moments, (laughs) it was said, by some soldiers in World War II that being at war was a few minutes of terror immersed in days and weeks of boredom. And so because this is spiritual warfare doesn't mean you're going to feel stuff happening every moment of the day. It doesn't mean you're going to be on your face praying 24-7. It's not not going to happen like that. But it is a mindset. It's a mindset. I'm at war. I have an adversary. I have been, we have been commissioned by Jesus to be a part of what he's doing, to participate in what he's doing. It's a mindset. It's a 24-7 mentality. We may not actually be praying in spiritual conflict, but maybe a little while each day or, or, or occasionally we will have days that are very intense for several hours or whatever. But the, but the bottom line still comes back to this we are in a conflict you see precious people that are church service focused that's what this is all about to them having church and just going through the process of having church and preaching sermons and and that's what this is about to them. What I'm talking to, them, to, to, to you about today is so foreign. It's foreign to them. It's not in their mindset. Because all of Christianity for them is going to church. Just let's have church. <laughs> let's, 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 let's sing and let's praise God and let's preach. All of that's important. But that is such a small part of the big picture. I tell you what, read the scripture. And in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the book of Acts, tell me how many people that got saved, got saved in an actual church service. 
Read it. Do you think the day of Pentecost was a church service? It was a prayer meeting. It wasn't a church service. And they'd been praying for seven days. <clears throat> Jesus ascended into heaven. He said, go tarry in Jerusalem. He didn't tell them how long they were going to be there. He just said, go pray. The outpour is going to take place. Go pray. Wait in Jerusalem till it happens. Go, wait, pray. You think they were having song service and preaching and offering and altar call and okay, we've done that. Let's start again because we're supposed to wait. So we, you know, I wonder how many church services they had back to back to back while they were waiting on the outpouring. None. They were, they prayed. It was a prayer meeting. It was a time of waiting on the Lord. That's what they were told to do. That's what they were sent to do. I am not preaching against church services. I am taking a strong stand that that's what defines our Christianity. That that's what makes us apostolic is we have apostolic church services. You know what? I'll tell you what you do. Go back through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and look at the audience that was there when Jesus spoke the things he did. How about all that talk about if you drink of the water that I shall give him, you, it'll be in you a well of water springing up under the everlasting life. How big was the, 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 the crowd that day? How many times have we preached that about those words? And they were preached to an audience of? And the message, except the man be born again. How many was in that audience? How many was in that audience? I'm not preaching his church services. The Bible says, forsake not the assembly of yourselves together. We are supposed to gather. But it's not the end all, be all to who and what we are as Christians. How much better is it if every one of our homes becomes a place of prayer? If prayer takes place in our hearts on the job, you don't have to compromise yourself so that somebody thinks you're some kind of religious fanatic or put yourself in danger of being arrested. You don't have to do that. But how about understanding that the Lord is with me all the time and wherever I go, He is with me and He wants to work in me and through me wherever I go. Well, you know, Brother Wright, it's just not safe. Really? Not safe. I, we need to pray for Jesus because he doesn't understand that. Poor Jesus, he just doesn't understand the fact that sometimes it may not be safe to do what he's telling you to do. And that if you obey him, it won't be safe and Somebody needs to remind Jesus that he forgot that. Now, I don't know what you call it in your culture, but in my culture we call that sarcasm. 
because obviously it's ridiculous. <laughs> hey, <laughs> how many times do we know that Stephen preached? He must have preached a lot. He was chosen to be one of the deacons. But we only have record of him preaching one time. And guess what the results were of his one time of preaching? Did he have a move of God or what? He moved right from earth to heaven in that move of God. He had a move of God. Now, somebody should have counseled Stephen about how much wiser he should have been. He should not have been foolish enough to have let himself be put in a situation where he is, where, where he, he's gonna upset some folks. Why, that could get you killed. And poor old Jesus, he's, He's, you know how old he is, and see, he gets forgetful, and he doesn't realize that you could get killed or put in prison for some things. I'm not trying to be facetious, and I know this is serious, but I've been bought with a price. I am not my own. He owns me. And he has a right to do with me as he chooses. Hey, there were 12 apostles, but there were three in the inner circle. Peter, James, and John. That inner circle, wow, what a group that was. They go to the top of a mountain. The other nine stopped somewhere. They didn't go that far. They, they, they stopped. They got tired. But the inner circle, they kept going all the way to the top. And they got to see Jesus transfigured. Wow. And think of all the stuff that the Lord taught Peter, James, and John. But sometime, not too long after the day of Pentecost, James is taken and killed. The same stuff that was put in Peter for all of his long-term ministry to the church, was put in James, and he's about to die. You mean to say that the Lord sent an angel to a prison to supernaturally deliver prison out of the Peter out of that prison, and that angel was on vacation or holiday before James got killed? Hello? Y'all taking a nap or? Huh? The same God that sent an angel to cause the chains to just fall off of Peter and the, the cell door to open and the prison doors and the gates open and he never touched them. No human touched them. The same God that sent an angel to do that let James be taken and killed. Same God. And you know something? I'm sure the church prayed for James. And were really disappointed he got killed. So when Peter was taken, they were praying for Peter. But didn't even believe what they were praying for. Because when Peter was delivered...
And he showed up at the house where they were praying. They didn't even want to accept him. He must already be dead and it's just his spirit showing up here. They prayed the same prayers for Peter that they prayed for James. I think that's a very safe statement to make. Except God didn't answer their prayers for James. And he, they didn't even believe he was going to answer their prayers for Peter. We're at war, folks. We're at war. This is bigger than you and I. This is bigger than my comfort. This is bigger than my, my uh, getting old and retiring. This is, this is bigger than all of that. It's bigger than fame. It's bigger than, than, than position. It's bigger than, than, uh, ha- than having the accolades of men. It's bigger than comfort, convenience. It's bigger than all of that. Some of you may be aware that the TV preachers, they preach about the blessings of God, but they spell the word blessings with dollar signs and not S's. And I realize that in other languages that point doesn't even translate. I understand that. So I'll rephrase it. In the Christian world we live in, far too many Christians think that the blessings of God are only monetary. That God is going to give me more money, a better house, a better car, better clothes. He may, he may not. I mean, Judas said, look at this waste of this ointment poured on Jesus' feet. We should have sold it. And giving the money to the poor, Jesus said, the poor, you're going to have with you always. So some people think the church is called to help the poor no longer be poor. Should we help people? Yeah, we should help people. Should we have compassion? Yes. But if you think we're ever going to remove or eliminate the poor from this earth, it's never going to happen. It's not going to happen. We're at war. This is a conflict. But you cannot win this conflict if you don't know two things. First, you need to know who God is. Second of all, you need to know who you are in God. We're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. And it may seem at times that what I'm talking about has nothing to do with spiritual warfare. But if you'll give me a little time, you'll see it not only has everything to do with spiritual warfare, but that without this knowledge, it's very difficult to consistently be victorious in spiritual warfare. Okay? Now, I'm not going to go into great detail today about who God is. I'm going to do that tonight. You say, well, we know who God is. I'm not sure about that. I don't mean that unkindly. 
I'm just simply saying, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure we know. So I'm, just to, to help our translators, I'm going to start with Ephesians 1.1. 1, 1. If you have your Bible, you're going to want to read those scriptures to uh, those you're interpreting for uh, as we go along here. I'm going to let Paul and Jesus tell you what you need to know. Obviously, I'll make some comments along, but I want you to hear this. I am going to be reading from the King James Version, um, which is not always the easiest translation to understand because it was translated and published in 1611, which is now 500 plus years ago. Uh, no, 400 plus years ago. Praise God. Ephesians 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I will say this to you, that verse is one of the most critical elements of my prayer every day, both what I pray to receive and what I speak in impartation to everyone that I am accountable for. This was not a salutation to a letter. This verse contains an apostolic impartation of two things that are so critical. If you do not receive them and walk in them daily... You not only will not succeed, excuse the double negative, you will not only not succeed as a Christian, you will not win in spiritual warfare. So I pray every day, Father, I receive from you grace and peace today. Grace empowers me to do what I cannot do myself. And peace is the confidence I have that my father is in control and that he's in charge. Everything's okay. He said, as I quoted last night, these things, the last words of Jesus before his trial in the garden and his crucifixion the next day, these things have I spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Notice the trouble is for sure. You shall have trouble, but you might have peace. Whether or not you have peace is a choice you've got to make. You've got no choice with the trouble. You've got choice of whether or not you have peace in the trouble. That's why Isaiah 9 and 6 calls him the prince of peace. Because the prince speaks of potential. He's not the king of peace until you make him the ruler of your life. Until you put him on the throne of your heart. And make him to be the one in control of your life. You, He is not your king of peace. He's only your prince of peace. He could help you, but you haven't decided to let him help you yet. Every single epistle that Paul wrote within the first seven verses starts with a verse just like this. 
Grace and peace be unto you from the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. That's when he wrote to churches. When he wrote to individuals, twice to Timothy and once to Titus, he added a word. He said, grace, mercy, and peace be unto you. This, this was so important to Paul that in every letter he wrote to every church and individual that God ordered, uh, called him to write to, he put this apostolic impartation in the very beginning of the writing. So every day I pray, Father, in the begin, in near the beginning of my prayer, Father, without you I can do nothing. So I receive the impartation of grace and mercy and peace for this day. Because I cannot please you today on my own. So I receive your grace to work in me. Philippians 2.13 For it is God that worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So I need grace to work in me, to empower me to want to please God. And then to give me the supernatural ability to please God. That's what grace does. And then peace, peace is to, in order to have peace, 1 Peter 3.11 says that we are to seek peace and to pursue it. And how do I do that? I will talk more about this at times during this meeting, but I, I seek peace and I live in peace by casting all my cares upon him. I'll talk more about that later. So Paul, in his writing to the church at Ephesus, in the second verse, gives this apostolic impartation of the empowerment and the atmosphere in which every Christian should live 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. 24 hours a day, I need the grace of God working in my life. 24 hours a day, I want to live with, I want the peace of God to be in my life. Why? Because Philippians 4 says that the, 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 the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will keep, guard, preserve your hearts and minds. So if I have the peace of God, I will not live in fear. The Bible says, great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Let me tell you something. If you have the peace of God in your life, the adversary cannot defeat you. He cannot defeat you. There's no opening. There's no access. There's no opportunity. There's nothing to threaten you with. There's nothing to use against you because you've got the peace of God. You trust your Father and you've got the peace of God in your life. So you cannot be threatened. You cannot be tormented because there is torment in fear. Fear has torment. So if you, if you're open up so you can have, so you can be tormented, then you're gonna have fear. And, or, or if you're open up so you can have fear, then you're gonna be tormented. There's no peace in that. There's no joy. If I don't have peace, I can't have joy. I cannot have the joy of the Lord separate from the peace of God. I can't. And grace and peace are a gift that I receive. Next verse. 
I'm going to read from mine so I don't have to turn my back to you most of the time. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who, has, who hath blessed us. I don't know what how it reads in your language, but in my language, that's past tense. It's a done deal in God. It's already done in God. Whether I've received it or not is another question. But it's not something to that, that I have to convince God to give me. It's already given. The question is, am I going to take it? It's already given. Am I going to receive it? He gave it, but I've got to receive it. Well, what am I going to receive? All spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. Did anybody read that? Do you hear what that said? He has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Now the Lord willing, I'm going to talk more about that tonight. So I don't want to spend too much time on it. But hear me. You didn't just happen to come into existence. Okay? And the church... Is the second thing God ever did in the ten, in in a, in a non infinite manner. The first thing He did was become Logos. The second thing He did was He created the church in His mind. We were chosen. <laughs> you were chosen in God before the foundation of the world. We are not helpless victims. We are to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But we are not helpless victims. We are not pitiful, poor little Christians that have to be afraid of the boogeyman. I don't know how you folks interpret that. Please forgive me. I've been chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. Read it. That means I'm not an afterthought. You're not an afterthought. The church of the living God's not an afterthought. We're not something He just did because He was bored one day and thought, well, let's, let's see, I think I'll build a church. We were We were a part of the original plan of God before he decided to have stars and planets and universes and galaxies he decided to have a church I know, I know here we are in this commercial space in a converted warehouse and it doesn't look very impressive to you right now but I remind you that the carpenter's son is all he was known as for 30 years and he spent 30 years in a car I feel the Holy Ghost he spent 30 years learning and practicing carpentry but one day one day (laughs) 
the signal from the Holy Ghost came and he locked that carpenter shop door for the last time. He walked down to the Jordan River where his cousin John was baptizing and he went from anonymity to the Savior of the world. The Lord pulled the cover off who he was. The day is coming. You hear me in the Holy Ghost. I'm saying this in the authority of the office that he has given me. There is a day coming that God is going to pull the cover of anonymity off the church. And the world's going to try to destroy us. And the world's going to try to stop us. But they can't stop it because it's God. It's coming. Our Savior spent 30 years of his life. Nazareth had a hard time accepting him because some of them had chairs he built they sat on in their houses. Some of them had furniture that he built that was in their houses. Some of them ate all out of wooden utensils and bowls that he made in their houses. And this one that made this bowl I'm eating out of is the Savior of the world. He's the Messiah. Oh, yeah. So here we are. Hiding in caves and dens and commercial spaces. Hiding. But it's not going to be like that forever. There's going to be a day when the Spirit of God is going to sweep the world. And He's pulling the cover off the church. How do I know that? Because Jesus prophesied, we be hated of all men for his name's sake. And the world can't hate something they don't even know exists. So there's got to be a cover pulled off. So the world is confronted with, with both God and the church. And the world's going to make a decision. And some are going to be saved. And some are going to hate us and try to destroy us. But before they can do that, the Lord's taking us out of here in the rapture. But we are not leaving here hidden to this world. We're not leaving. The church isn't leaving here as, as, as anonymous people that's insignificant. I've seen a vision. I've seen it. The, the, the religion that is causing the most trouble in the world. I've seen a vision of apostles. Two by two. Going to their villages. Their towns. And healing everybody in that city. Until God manifest, I've seen it. It's going to happen until God manifested Himself in such a measure that whole towns, villages were going to convert and become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ because the covers pulled off. I have seen that in the Spirit. It shall happen. It will come to pass. Light, light cannot be quenched by darkness. Darkness may seem like it's winning for a while, but light always wins in the struggle of darkness. And we are children of the light. 
We're children of the light. We're children of the light. Oh, I'd like to stay there, but I can't. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be fun to stay there? That'd be fun to stay there. <laughs> Verse 4. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us, not individually. I, I have a free will. I am not predestined to be saved. It is up to me to decide to be saved. But the church has, has been predestined. The church of the living God has been predestined. What's not predestined is who's going to be in the church. It's your choice of whether or not you're going to be in the church and a part of it. But the church can't be lost. That's why when Paul spoke to the churches, he said, Grace and peace from the Father be upon you. But when he talked to three individuals, one of them twice, he said, Grace, mercy, and peace be upon you. Why? Because the church can't be lost because the church can't sin. People in the church can sin, but the church can't sin. So the church doesn't need mercy because the church is bought, purchased, paid for, built by Jesus. The church can't be destroyed by fire. It can't be imprisoned in cells. It can't be quenched. The voice of the church can't be stopped. It's not our voice. It's his voice. Not our voice, it's his voice. Now, I wasn't straining my voice a while ago, but I better drink a little bit of it. So, having predestined, verse 5, having predestinated us in the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. That's what I've just been talking about. We chose, we've been chosen for the foundation of the world. There's coming a day when the church is going to be revealed. The, the Holy Spirit in the form of, it wasn't a bird, but it was in, in a vision of uh, 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 like a dove sat upon Jesus. And the declaration was made, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And there will be a day, in spite of all the religions of the earth, there will be a day that the word is going to for, go forth. Behold the church of the living God. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself, Amen. that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, there is a time coming when God's going to wrap all this up. He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in on earth, even in him. In whom also we, I, there's all this is good stuff, but I, I'm trying to save a little time and forgive me. I would love to talk about every word in every one of these verses. If the Holy Ghost willed, he could do that. 
being predestined, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will. There is a plan. God had a plan. The infinite God became Logos. And Logos is far more than the English word. I don't know how it's translated in other languages. But, but, or the equivalent letter of word, or the word equivalent word, word. In the English Bible, it's logos. Logos is translated word. It's so, it's so far beyond word. So far beyond word. Logos is all of the wisdom of God, all the mind of God, all the plan of God, all of the purpose of God, all the will of God, all, all expressed in one. According to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will, own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. In who, hang on now. I, this is all good stuff, but it's not the subject matter for today, so I'm moving through it. In whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of, of, of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also after that you believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance. It's the down payment. It's the Greek word. The Holy Ghost is the down payment of my eternal future. The Lord gave us a down payment to guarantee that His promises are going to come to pass. The Holy Ghost is my down payment. Which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of His glory. Wherefore? What is that, what Paul is about to say is based on everything I've just read. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Now he didn't say, it, it, that wasn't, Lord bless John and bless Sue and bless Sally and bless Bill. That's what he, he didn't, that's not what he meant by making mention. He's going to tell you what making mention means. Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Here's what he prayed. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I prayed that for you this morning that's what you're feeling working here right now I prayed that the Lord would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him that's what we're feeling but it didn't stop there listen the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. So that, for the purpose of, that ye may know three things. you got to know who you are. And you got to know these three things to know who you are. You cannot have victory in the battle if you don't know who you are. you got to know Him, and you got to know who you are. Here it is. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling. 
And what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? Three things. What is the hope of his calling? We are saved by hope. Romans 8, 24. We're saved by hope. What is what, what does that Greek word mean that's translated hope in the English language or whatever word is translated in your language? What does that word mean? Hope is greater than faith. Hope is an absolute confident certainty that what God said is going to come to pass. Faith is God said it, I believe it's going to happen. Hope is God said it and I know it's going to happen. So there's an absolute certainty of his calling. What has he called us to? He's called us into his gospel. He's called us into his kingdom. He's called us into victory. Thanks be unto God which giveth us the victory. He's called us into that. Second of all, get this now. And what is the, <laughs> what is the riches of the glory of our inheritance in him? Hear it now. Here's what Paul said we need to know. We are our father's inheritance through Christ. <laughs> I, I, I want to jump, run, shout, dance, and do all that, but I'm supposed to be teaching, so I'm, I'm having to kind of hold that back a little bit. You and I are our Father's inheritance. He is not our inheritance, we are His inheritance. What does that mean? We are the end result of everything he's done and what he expected to get out of it. Everything God's done was for the purpose of getting the church as his blessing out of it. I got a question. Do you think it'd be hard for the church, his inheritance, to get God to give us victory in the battle with the devil? I, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm about to say, and I hope it translates well. But this battle is so one-sided, it's almost unfair. The devil cannot win Unless I choose for him to. If I refuse to let him win. He cannot. He can't. Oh boy we're, we're, we're having such a struggle. We're not having a struggle. We're in a trial and a situation that God has let us walk in. So that we can grow. There's no struggle in defeating the devil. The Lord has blessed me. I, I, I'm not a wealthy man. But I'm going to tell you something right now. This is my wife. 
If there's anything she wants, if I have any ability at all to get it for her, she's getting it. Now, I, there's things I can't do for her. Some things I what used to not be able to do for her that I can do now, there's still a whole lot of stuff I can't do for her. She made the mistake of telling me, you know, there's a lot of eye places, eyeglass places in Singapore. I'd like a new, new set of frames for my glasses because I've had these a long time. That was a mistake. Because I've been dragging her around to the malls, to eyeglass places, till she finally said, For, uh, stop, I don't want to do this anymore. But you said, I know and I'm sorry I said it. <laughs> Why? She didn't say, would you please buy me another pair of glass frames i've had these so long don't you care that i've had these long you how many times they've gotten twisted and bent up we've had them fixed we had had, they got they she fell asleep and they fell down between the chairs or the seats on the airplane and somehow we didn't know they were there and they got all twisted up and the lenses popped out first day we were here we had to go find a place that fixed them for us that's not the first time that's happened but I am so mean and uncaring. I have forced her to keep those same glasses all this time. No, that's not true. It's not true. Now, she's a very frugal person. And in most of these places, those frames are really a lot of money, so... She made up her mind, forget this, when I'm not spending this kind of money for a pair of frames. Okay. If you don't want something, don't even give me the idea. I need to try to get it. Because I'm your husband and you're my wife and I want to do what I can for you, see? Because I learned that from somebody. I said, I learned that from somebody. I learned to do my best to take care of my wife. I can't, I'm not like him. I don't have his resources. I can't give her everything. But what I can give her, I, I want to give it to her because I learned that from him. Because that's his attitude toward his bride. Oh, you're his bride. How about that? You are his inheritance. I received the Holy Ghost at age 12. I started praying then. Lord, give me the wife you want me to have. You say that was too young. Too young to start praying for God to give me the perfect will of God who I'm going to spend the very rest of my life with. We've been married 47 years. That prayer had to last 47 plus years. Hopefully a lot farther than it's lasted so far. I told her, I said, you have spoiled me so bad that if you die before me, I'm going to be looking for your replacement on the way home from the cemetery because you have spoiled me. I can't live by myself. I don't like that. I hope you don't. I said that to you hoping that you would just decide not to die.
That's the easiest way to fix that. You don't like that? I got a solution for you. Don't die before me. That's one of those questions, you know, husbands and wives have occasionally. That's what she said. If you, if I died before you, would you get married again? I said, would you? She said, no, nobody could ever replace you. Well, I said, okay. I'm finding somebody on the way home because you, I don't have any doubt. You could probably make it on your own. I can't. You've ruined me. You've ruined me. You've absolutely ruined me. It's not possible. I can't do it. And if you don't like that, it's a simple solution. Just don't die before me. It's it's not not a problem. No complaints from me. That's all right. I have, I'm a part of the bride. We are his inheritance. We're the second thing he ever did. (laughs) In all the act of creation, we're the second thing he did. Before the foundation, everything. In his mind, he decided he was going to make himself a bride. I hath not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. Let's thank him for that right now. Can we do that? Let's just thank him for that. Let's thank him for that. Woo! My, 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 my. There's so much Holy Ghost manifest in this room. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Come on, come on. Let's give him thanks. He's worthy. He's worthy of our thanksgiving. Let's don't go through the motions. Let's give him thanks. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. All right. That's the first two things he wants us to know. Here's the next one. So, verse 18 again. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward, toward us, who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought or demonstrated in Christ when he raised him from the dead. You know, he raised other people from the dead, but he didn't do this with everybody else. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Now the Bible says, heaven is your throne and the earth is your footstool. So if heaven is his throne and the man Christ Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, 
he can't be in heaven because heaven is his throne. If heaven's the throne and Jesus is sitting at the right hand, he's got to be sitting someplace out of heaven if the right hand is a physical spot. Heaven is his throne. If the man Christ Jesus has been exalted to sit on the right hand of God, he has to be sitting somewhere outside of heaven because heaven is the throne. The point I'm making is heaven at uh, the right hand cannot be a physical location. It has to be symbolic of a position. And what is that position? The visible representation of all the power and authority and the being of who the invisible God is. Oh, wait, wait. Wait, wait, there's the problem. Sitting on the right hand is, he's not even the one right next to him because, well, I wonder where David is sitting because David said, the Lord is on my right hand and I shall not be moved. <laughs> so if heaven is the throne and the Lord's sitting on the throne and the right hand of God is a, uh, the right hand is a physical place, then David is at the center of the universe and God's at his right hand and, and the sun is on the right hand of that which is somewhere out here and we don't know where that is so is he still around anywhere? So if you've got to take that literally, you got a problem. If you want to make right hand, right hand, you've just put David at the center of the universe because... He said that God was on his right hand. So obviously that's not the case. The phrase right hand is a figurative statement of a place of authority and power. So David is saying the Lord's on my right hand, meaning God is the source of my authority and power. And the, and the man Christ Jesus becomes the visible representation for all of eternity of the authority and the power of the invisible God. Do you think when we get to heaven, we're suddenly going to be able to see the invisible? Invisible is invisible. <laughs> is, that, is that too complicated? <laughs> invisible is invisible. So whether we're on earth or in heaven... We're still not going to be able to see the invisible God. We can see his manifestation. We can see the brightness of his glory. But we can't see him because he's invisible. So the man Christ Jesus that's born of the virgin woman, Mary, becomes the visible representation of the invisible God forever. He is therefore the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the God of all gods and our husband. <laughs> Not just here, but forever. Now, I don't want anybody to be upset with me, but I, you know, I mean, it just kind of makes, what do you call the king's wife? Queen. 
Okay. If he is the king of kings and the church is his wife, then what's the church? I'll just let you think about that a little bit. Because <laughs> obviously, most I, I, I deal with Christians all the time that think we are just this poor, unfortunate little group of beggars that just have no privilege and no place and we're outsiders to the world and God hardly knows we're here and 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 we have to do all kind of things to try to get his attention because he obviously is not paying us attention and you can have that mindset if you want to but it didn't come out from the Bible and it didn't it's not a product of the spirit God's spirit so Verse 19 again. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places? Where did he set this Christ that we are in? Galatians 3.27, for as many as are baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. When I was when I was spirit baptized, the spirit of Christ was put in me. When I was water baptized, I was put into Christ. And wherever Christ is, that's where I am. Because I'm in Christ. So where has he been set? Far above. Not just above. I, I, I got one of these apps that's got a program where you can just touch the word and it gives you the Greek. Above, upward. Greatly higher in place or rank. Far above. Greatly higher in place or rank. The exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe is demonstrated by what the Lord did with the man Christ Jesus or the Father did with the man Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and exalted him to be the visible representation of the invisible God forever. And where did he set him? Far above. All principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. So we're not talking about the future here. We're talking about here and now. In this world, right here. I don't know about you, but I'm in this world right now. I'm not, I'm in the world. I'm not of the world. So what I just read to you applies to here and now. If the Lord can just find somebody to believe it. If he could just find somebody to believe this. Here and now. Not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. You ready? And hath put all things under his feet. And gave him to be head over all things to the church. Yes, 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 yes. You know, I, we, I have to pay my taxes. Jesus paid his. He had Peter go catch a fish. They found gold in the mouth so that they could pay their taxes. 
And if I'm driving down a road and the speed limit sign says whatever, I'm supposed to be pretty close to that. <laughs> close enough to not get stopped at least. So, Because I'm in this world. But I am in Christ. I'm in the body of Christ. And the head of this body has already been exalted far above everything and everybody and every power. Already been exalted above all that. Not going to be. Already is. What good does this do us, Brother Wright? <laughs> this is a case you didn't... You, you, didn't know or you forgot this is a spiritual warfare prayer seminar and there is no place more important that you exercise your faith in these things than when you are praying that's why he said we are to come Boldly before the throne of grace. Because we know who we are. That gives us confidence and boldness to pray. Now, now. How many times does the scripture say, ask anything in my name and I'll do it? How's that working out for you? Have you asked stuff that didn't happen? Well, forgive me. I don't want to disillusion you. But if you read the context of every one of those statements, they're specifically in the context of praying about the lost being saved. In the chapter, John 15, on fruitfulness. After he talks about the branches bearing fruit and all that, he says, John 15, 7, If ye abide in me and my words abide you, you shall ask what you will and shall be done. That's not you saying, God, give me a Bentley. Or give me a Rolls Royce. Or give me a penthouse apartment in one of these high rises. That's not what he's talking about. But I have the right to ask anything when it comes to a lost person being saved. I can come boldly before the throne of grace. The Lord is not going to violate. I said this last night. The Lord's not going to violate their will. He bound himself for this period called time or temporal time to not violate their will. But he can do a whole lot of stuff to get their attention. And... <laughs> Oh, Lord, have mercy. I have the Holy Ghost. Hopefully you do too. God is everywhere at the same time. I can pray in my hotel room this morning about things that are going on on the other side of the world, and I'm not having to worry about whether or not my prayers can get there. Because when God is there in that situation and I have God in me and I'm here, the moment I begin to pray about that thing, I am now involved right there in that situation when I pray. Right there. 
I mentioned Brother Barnes last night or this morning. I don't remember now. This morning. He's like 92 years old. I, I'm visiting in his office. He said, you know, there's these fellows running around all over the world trying to have an impact. He said, I affect the world more than all of them sitting right here in this old desk. Why? How could he say such a thing? Was he an egomaniac? Was that really what his problem was? No. He got this revelation. He understood that because of who he was in God, and I don't mean because he was a prophet, because he was a child of God, a part of the bride of Christ, because the Lord was in him and the Lord is everywhere. And where, when I'm here and I pray for this situation over here, I'm connected to the, to the part of God that's there right now. And so my prayers can have an immediate impact right here, right now. I have that opportunity. So you know what that means? You and I can affect cities, towns, villages, countries, nations, peoples that we can't even speak their language and we may never ever go where they are. But we can affect them and their salvation through our prayers right where we're sitting. Plane tickets are expensive, but prayer tickets are not. You can go someplace and end up with a prayer ticket you can't get to with a plane ticket. I am a child of God as an individual. I'm a part of the bride of Christ as a part of the body I'm a part of. I don't need a visa to come to your town and pray. I don't have to have a plane ticket. I don't need a hotel. I don't need to be able to find some food my stomach will handle. All I have to do is pray. And in the spirit, I am connected there right now. Do you understand how the church can have such an impact in the earth? It's when we get a hold of this and we let this get a hold of us. And we understand the impact we can have through prayer. Now, Brother Wright, you know, I prayed for stuff that didn't happen. I just got discouraged and quit. Yeah. The Lord told Abraham he was going to have a son. Good thing for us, he didn't quit. Only took 25 years, but that was God's timing. He had to believe that entire 25 years. Oh, that's right. He tried to help God out, so we got all the conflict in the world we got going on today. Because Ishmael is a product of Abraham jumping in and trying to help God out. Abraham should have had should have learned from Adam. What do you do, Adam? Well, that woman you gave me. You know whose idea Ishmael was? Sarah's. He should have said, oh, sweet one, I know you, you, you're discouraged because we're both getting old. But the Lord promised us we're going to have a child, and he is faithful. So we're not going to help him out here. He should have said that. Or he could have said with Job, you speak like a foolish woman. But he didn't. So his wife's idea sounded like a good idea, I guess. 
One thing we learned, having a child wasn't his problem. The inability to have a child wasn't his problem. He fathered Ishmael 12, 13 years before Isaac, and he fathered about five or six more after he turned 100 after, his, after Sarah died. Somebody named his last wife. What's her name? What? Zerata? What? God, Couture or whatever. God bless you. I don't know it. I'm just jealous. <laughs> so the question is this. What, what happens if we know who we are? What happens in the earth if we know who we are? Hmm? What happens when we get through, get rid of this victim mentality? And, and we quit listening to the devil lie to us about how hard all of this is and how, how unfair God is and how could he let all this hap- stuff happen to us? Doesn't he care? Verse 22, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things. Not just over, gave him to be the head over all things. Okay, if he stopped there, that'd be great. But he gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Everything that is coming against us, he's already the head over it. He's the head over this world. He's not the God of this world yet, but he's the head over all this. He has all, all authority in heaven and earth is given unto him. The Greek word there, I don't know what it would be in the other languages, but in the English it says power, King James at least. The, it's not the Greek word for power. It's the Greek word for authority. All authority in heaven and earth is given unto me. So if there's any authority in the earth, secular or otherwise, It all belongs to Jesus. Now, people may be abusing that power. Governments may be abusing that power. But the the authority is not theirs. It belongs to him. He owns all power and authority. He owns it. And he gave, he has become himself the head over all things to the church. Oh, wait. It didn't stop there, did it? Next verse, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And we're just a pitiful bunch of people, aren't we? We are his body. The 33 or so years while Christ was on the earth, he was the head and the body of Christ. But after his ascension and the fulfillment of the day of Pentecost, He no longer was the body of Christ. He was only the head of the body. Here sits a part of the body of Christ. I've used this many times, but let me use it again. If I was standing in water up to my neck, would my head and body be separated from one another? No. My head is in the air. My body would be in the water. But I would all, I would be one, I'd still be one. So my head, as, as the church, our head is already in heaven. 
the rest of his body is on earth. But the, the head's not been cut off of the body. Oh, oh, what, what, oh, let's see. What did that say? What did it say? Oh, yeah. Look at verse 22 again. And hath put all things under his feet. Is the, are the feet of God in heaven? No. The only part of the body of Christ that's in heaven is the head. I want you to look down and look at the feet of the body of Christ. I'm serious. The only feet the body of Christ has are on the end of the legs of the faithful people who are a part of the body of Christ. And where did he plan for our feet to go? On top of everything. The phrase, he put all things under his feet, is the promise of victory. Because the Bible says that the way you prove you've defeated your enemy is you put your foot on their neck. They come under your feet. So when he says he's been put there and he is the head of the body and all things have been put under his feet and he left his body still here, then all things are under his feet. Well, why does it feel like we're so beaten down? Because we haven't believed and taken our place in the body. All things are under his feet. Hey, some of you live in countries where the government is on your trail. Aren't you a little tired of that? Why don't you get on their trail? <laughs> I'm not being facetious. Some of you live in, in nations where there's powers and governments and religions and, and whatever that are trying to suppress you. You can be a helpless victim or you won't, or you can go to prayer. You don't have to get out on the street and demonstrate. You don't have to go down to the government offices and make declarations. You've got a better opportunity than that. When you go to prayer, you immediately acknowledge the connection between the body of Christ on earth and the head of the body that's already in heaven. And then in that, in that connected state, you are exercising all of the authority and power of the one who sits on the throne of heaven. Yes. Remember that day? Somebody listen to me now. I'm saying this in the Holy Ghost. You remember that day the mob came to take Jesus and cast him over the side of the hill? And the Bible says, and he walked through the crowd. And they didn't see him. The Lord blinded their eyes. And he just walked right through the cloud, crowd. What are you willing to accept? The Lord is able. Let me back up here a minute. There is a promise. There is a promise. 
there is a promise that the Lord is going to pour out his spirit in every nation. And the terminology has nothing to do with just a few people getting the Holy Ghost hidden away from the eyes of the government and the public. But God is going to bring an outpouring of such nature and such an extent that no, uh, no natural authority and power will be able to stop it. It's going to be like a tsunami. When the time, and the time is near, but when the time comes, the Spirit is going to come through nations like a tsunami. And all of their opposition is not going to be able to stand in the way of the tsunami of the Spirit. It's going to come. You feel that? That's the witness of the Holy Ghost. Come on, let the Spirit of the Lord bear witness with you that these are not the ravings of a man, a lunatic, but that these are the words of God. He has promised. He said He's going to pour out His Spirit on all nations. All nations. He's going to pour out His Spirit on all nations. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. 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 In the name of Jesus. <laughs> Woo! Come on, believe it. Impossible for God to lie. It is impossible for God to lie. He said He was going to pour out His Spirit on all nations. All nations. All nations. Hallelujah. 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 How many of you are from Indonesia? You, you're, you came to this meeting from Indonesia? The Philippines. Indonesia. How many of you is there? Okay. All right. Let me tell you something. The first time I went to Jakarta, I've been to Pakistan a lot of times, okay? And there's such an oppressive spirit in Pakistan. And I went to Indonesia, and of course, it's supposed to be the largest Muslim nation on earth, right? And I go there, and I kept, kept waiting to feel this oppression. I didn't feel it. And I said, Lord... What is this? And he showed me that in Indonesia, there is a spiritual vacuum that no religion has been able to fill. No government has been able to step in and take the place, take advantage of. First of all, because the nation has so many islands. How do you control all that? 
So there's a vacuum. You hear me right now. I'm going to say this to you. The Lord said this to me in Indonesia. And I'm saying it to you that came from Indonesia. Percentage wise. Take total percentage of population. Indonesia could easily have the greatest, the largest number of people percentage-wise in a nation receive the Holy Ghost of any place on earth because there is such a spiritual vacuum. And if the body of Christ will stand up and step in the place they're called to be and in the Spirit fill that vacuum... God is going to do things that we we can't even imagine. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. Let's thank him for it right now. In the name of Jesus. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Now, now, I, I mentioned last night that if you need to get up and move around, we can do that. I have, I've done... I've done so many of these kind of meetings that I, I don't even want to count them. And I've learned one very important thing. You don't take breaks while the Spirit is flowing. When the Spirit lifts, you're done. You can go eat. You can go drink. You can get some sleep. But you don't take breaks in between. That means if you need to go to the restroom, please do that with the least amount of disruption possible. If you need to stand up a while, if you need to sit in a different seat, all of that's fine. But here's our problem, okay? Our problem is we're conditioned to believe we only have the capacity to receive this little amount. And when somebody dares to go beyond our capacity... We, 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 oh, I don't know how we're going to endure this. Let me tell you something. The Holy Ghost is going to stretch your capacity this week. And you're going to leave here knowing you are capable of receiving a whole lot more than you thought you could. I, I don't want you, I'm not asking you to feel sorry for me. You may be hurting in one area. I'm hurting in another. Right now, my feet are killing me. <laughs> it feel, no, it feels like that I am standing on coals of fire. So you have your trial, I have mine, but we're going to obey God. Now, I was going to read chapter 2 of Ephesians, and it's really full of good stuff, but... I don't, I don't want to, uh, I, I can't take the time because I'll get sidetracked. So 
Understand that chapter 2 of Ephesians is now talking about us individually and what the Lord did to provide us salvation and some of his purposes in doing that for us individually to bring us a part of the body of Christ. So that's why in verse 1 of chapter 3, Paul starts this way. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, For this cause, in other words, everything he's about to say is based on what he said in chapters 1 and 2 of Ephesians. Okay, and remember these were not books, they were letters, and there were no chapter and verse divisions in those letters. Okay, so verse 3, he is starting a new thought to tell us things based on what he's already said. He did that actually, if you go to Genesis or Ephesians 2 1, when he talked about the Christ being set in heavenly places and being all things put under his feet, gave me the head over all things in church, which his body full of him filleth all in all. Verse 2, or chapter 2, verse 1, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. So he introduced with that verse, he introduced the subject matter of where he talks about our salvation from God's perspective. What God did to save us and what the result from God's perspective is of that salvation. For instance, finalizing chapter 2, verse 19 says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple of the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit." For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, that how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. He didn't say the mysterious. Now, I don't know what how it's translated in the other languages, but I hope it's better than this word here. Because in English, the word mystery means something that is incomprehensible. But the Greek word literally means a hidden secret or a secret that's been hidden. Not something incomprehensible, but something that has been hidden. That's why Paul says... Uh, that this dispensation of the grace of God has given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. If, if a mystery is incomprehensible, how can God help somebody to understand that which is incomprehensible? In other words, Paul is saying he, uh, he uncovered the mystery. And then he says, parentheses, as I wrote a four in few words, Whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ. In other words, I'm telling you how I know the stuff I've already said and what I'm about to say. God pulled the cover off the mystery so that I could understand it and communicate it to you. Verse 4, uh, excuse me, verse 5. Which, here's the mystery. 
which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles, <laughs> you don't have a, I'm sure you do. Uh, it is so amazing. You know, it's so amazing to a Jew who are the people of God and all the promises made to them that us lowly Gentiles could be made equal partners in the promises of God. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of, of the grace of God given unto me. By the effectual working of his power unto me who am the least of, of, the, of, of all saints is this grace given. That I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. The fellowship of the mystery. <laughs> Brothers, sisters. There is a fellowship of the mystery. What is the fellowship of the mystery? The bond of fellowship that is created among those who have received the revelation of the mystery. Verse 8, one more time. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given should that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places that's God's good angels <clears throat> That's not the devil. That's the good angels. To the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be. <laughs> when I first really saw this, I was so dumbfounded. I didn't even know. I couldn't make any noise. I didn't know what to say. To the intent that now under the principalities and powers of the heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now let me say this to you. Paul said, if, if the devil, if Satan had known he would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The devil doesn't know everything. He doesn't know the time of the coming. He knew Christ was born but didn't know where. So he had all the babies in a town killed because he didn't know which one was. He doesn't know everything. And let me tell you what I believe with all my heart. When I enter into my prayer time with the Lord, 
the devil's ears are stopped. It would be very rude of you to eavesdrop on my wife and I in the privacy of our home or our bedroom. And when the, when the body of Christ is communicating with the, the bride of Christ, is communicating with her husband, the Lord doesn't let the adversary be a, I don't know if you can translate this one, but a peeping Tom, a spy, a, a busybody, looking in on what's going on between Christ and his bride. So I don't have to be afraid of praying things because my father as his son and my husband as a part of the bride is not going to let the devil hear what I'm praying about because he doesn't, there's stuff he doesn't know. Oh, wait a minute. This verse lets us know that there's things that God's angels don't know. But they're going to learn it. How are they going to learn it? Go back a verse, please. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. So how is God's angels going to learn the mystery from the church? I didn't write it. Don't look at me like, what are you talking about? Are you crazy? You know, just if you, it, let's pretend Paul's sitting here and then you can give him all those looks. Okay. Okay, Paul, you're going to take the heat because you wrote this. I didn't write this. So give him those looks you're giving everybody. I, I'm not taking those looks. I didn't write it. I'm just reading it. I just told you what it said. Just, there it is. Look. Paul said it. I didn't say it. Hey, he not only said it, he said the Holy Ghost had him say it. So you want to know who you are? You have access to God and to the knowledge and understanding of the mystery of God that even his angels do not have. I'm going to say it to you again. If you get this revelation, you, it won't be long till you understand this may be spiritual warfare, but it's not a fair fight. It's not a fair fight. And thank God I'm on the side uh, that it's fair too, not fair to the other. But he put himself in that place. I don't feel sorry for him. I had somebody tell me, I was, we were in a situation, we were dealing with some, some stuff, and I was teaching, and 
And this lady come up to me after I was through. She said, I, you make me feel sorry for the devil. <laughs> hmm. Well, I don't know what you're a part of, but it's not the church. Because the church has never felt sorry for the devil. When I was younger, much younger, and b long before I learned this stuff, and we were trying to build a church, and we, we, it was just the two of us. We didn't have anybody at all. It was nobody came to help us, came with us to help us. We went to our, our city, and we were it. There was nothing else. I was 24. She was 19. And we were starting a church with nobody. And it was, it was never easy. And God, you know, the Lord helped us, but whatever. And, and we were in a situation one time after we'd been there several years and, and, uh, I was waiting on an answer from God and it didn't come. And the, it was late at night. The devil was just, he was just, he was saying some bad stuff to me and I'd had all I could take. And I said to him, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask for a special dispensation in heaven to be able to stand for a few moments on the banks of hell and watch you burn. And I'm going to laugh and mock you like you have laughed and mocked Christians all these years. I am going to laugh and mock you. And then, after I'm done, I'm going to forget you ever existed and go about my business enjoying my eternal life. So you want to keep giving me a hard time? He left. He didn't want to talk anymore. I'm serious. I'm telling you the honest truth that happened. I didn't tell him to leave. <laughs> we were, there was this lady and she had some problems and we were casting the devil out of her and he wouldn't come out. I said, okay, you don't want to come out? I bind you from coming out. You got to stay in this body till I tell you you can leave. I said, okay, folks. He doesn't want to come out. I want every one of you just to touch her in an appropriate place. And now we're going to let the Holy Ghost pray through us. And we're going to rejoice and let the spirit of the power of God flow through us. And we're going to exalt God and torment this devil because he doesn't want to go anyplace. <laughs> and we did that about 15, 20 minutes. And I said, okay, would you like to leave now? <laughs> truth. I'm telling you the truth. You don't want to go? Okay. I mean, one of them said, uh, they said to Jesus, some of them said to Jesus, have you come to torment us before our time? He let them off the hook. You don't want to listen to what God says for me to tell you to do? Then okay. I don't have the compassion Jesus has got. I'm tormenting you. You've tormented me enough. It's my, I'm going to put it back on you here. I know some of you look at me like, you're just telling stories. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm telling you the honest truth. 
Or how about this one? He comes to you and tell, reminds you of all your faults and failures and how messed up you are because of all your faults and failures. And that had been going on a while, and, and I was so frustrated. I didn't know what to do. And finally one day, he's just railing on me, telling me how messed up I am and how, how much of a failure I am and how I can't do anything right. And it just hit me, and I said, oh, by the way, you want to talk about all my problems? You made one mistake and got kicked out of heaven forever, and you're about to go to hell forever because you made one mistake. And this old earthen vessel has failed so many times. And the Lord keeps forgiving me. And I'm going to go to heaven in all of my weakness and all of my failure because of the love of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. And you're going to hell and you only made one mistake. Do you want to keep talking about my mistakes? He left. I'm serious. I'm serious. You're going to use my failures against me? All of my failures prove the grace of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the love of God. The devil failed one time and lost his place forever. That doesn't seem very fair, does it? Let me tell you why. Because he was created out of the substance of God. He was given the ability to exercise will or choice, but was not given the authority to choose. Why? Because he fellowshiped in the presence of God every day. And nothing bad, no sin can abide in the presence of God. So he made one choice contrary to the one in whose, fellowship, whose presence he fellowships. And he became repugnant to the presence of God and could not stay. And because he was made of God's substance, there was no redemption from his failure. But the power of will is so great. That when God gave us not only the ability to choose, but the responsibility to choose, he had to enclose or encase that power in frail, weak, human flesh. So he wants to talk about my failures? There's nothing to talk about. You notice, notice, he doesn't talk to God about my failures. He can only talk to me about my failures. Because if he tried to talk to the Lord, the Lord would look at him and say, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> because everything the Lord has forgiven, he has covered by his blood and cast it all in the sea of forgetfulness. He said, I will forgive them their transgressions and remember their sins no more.
so the devil may remember what I've done and I may remember what I've done, but my heavenly Father has promised he will forget it and never remember it again. So have this comfort. If the devil is trying to remind you of your failures, you and him know something God doesn't know. Because the Lord has forgiven all of that. I'm winding down. I'll be through here by 2, 2.30, I promise you. <laughs> Did you hear that gasp? Well, I, I know maybe I may have told you the truth. I don't know. I'll, we'll have to see what the Lord's doing. Anyway, <laughs> verse nine, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world had been hid in God, who created all things by Christ Jesus, to the intent that now, under the principalities and powers in heavenly places, might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith in him. I've got access. We have offices at the church. There's nobody that would presume to walk in our offices without knocking on the door. Well, that's not true. There are seven people in this world that would walk into our offices without knocking. And they do it all the time. And you, you, they don't even understand the idea that they don't have access. And don't tell them that we're busy doing something and they can't come in right now. Because if they're ready to see their grandmother, and sometimes me, but mostly her, they're coming in that office because... Their last name gives them access. They got access. You've got access. <laughs> Woo! You got access. You've got access. You're not an outsider to God. You're His son individually. You're a part of His bride collectively. Let me tell you something. Now, I don't know about the grandchildren, but I know one thing. If I'm busy doing something and she wants to come see me, I'm not going to tell her, no, 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 wait, I'm busy right now. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I'm that smart. I am that smart. I may not be the smartest, but I'm that smart. And if she wants to see me, I'm not going to say, no, no, not right now. I'm busy. No. Not like I told you already. I mean, I'm in a hot, heavy prayer meeting and, and, and looking some stuff up in the scripture, whatever. And she says, have you got a minute? I don't, I'm not thinking, no, I don't. Can't you, I mean, we're in the same room and I'm praying. Can't you hear that? I didn't say that. Sure. What you got? Let me, oh, what? Hey, it was carnal. It was grandchildren. It was carnal. It's carnal. It's not spiritual. It's grandchildren. Don't shake your head. It is carnal. <laughs> Why? Hey, she's got access. You've got access. 
You're not an outsider. You don't have to knock on his door and wait for him to say, you may enter. You can walk boldly into the throne of grace. You got access. Access. Oh, Lord. Verse 13. Wherefore, because of all that, Wherefore, I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is for your glory. What, what tribulations? He was in jail. He wrote all of this from prison. <laughs> you say, if God's so great, what are you doing in jail? Well, he was so busy with ministry, if he was going to do any writing, the Lord had to... Give him some time. So he just said, okay, you've been preaching this long enough. I want you to do some writing. So therefore, I'm going to make sure you don't get distracted while you do this writing. Okay, I'm going to give you an all-expenses-paid place to write. When is the last time you checked to see how many of the things we call the Word of God that's such a blessing to us were written from jail cells? Hey. Jail. Hello? Jail. He was in jail. God's not very good. He let me go to jail. Well, maybe he wants you to do some writing. I was a very young man, young in the ministry, and Lord, I was hungry. I wanted to understand some things. And I don't know all of his doctrine. And some of you that may know more than I do about all about that, which is certainly possible, I, I, I may not have agreed with all of his doctrine. But Watchman Nee had some very deep spiritual insights into things. And I read most of his books when I was a young man. And I, I, I just thought about him today for the first time in a while. I went online and looked up, looked up, read about him again. <laughs> the man died when he was 68. I just turned 70. He spent the last 20 years of his life in prison because of his faith. And again, by bringing up his name, I'm not endorsing all of his doctrine. I don't know all of his doctrine. I, I don't believe he believed you had to be baptized in Jesus' name filled with the Holy Ghost to be saved. I don't believe he believed in the oneness of God. But there's no question the man had some spiritual insights into, into spiritual things, supernatural things, and spent the last 20 years of his life in jail. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a great, great theologian, German theologian. And he, he wrote and taught things that are still talked about. One of his statements that I've quoted many, many times is, Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you everything. Dietrich Bonhoeffer opposed Hitler and Nazism, stood against it, declared it unbiblical, and ended up a martyr because of his faith. Ephesians was written from jail. 
So Paul says, while you're writing all, reading all this, I don't want you to, I don't want you to color or interpret what I'm writing here by the location from which it's been written. Don't let my situation keep you from receiving the full benefit of what I'm writing. Because he actually has said in places, I'm the prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether he was behind bars or on the free on the road, he considered himself the prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we talk about ourselves being the servant of God. But the Greek word doulos is slave. And Paul on several occasions actually referred to himself as Christ's slave. Praise God. All right, here we go. Verse 14. Wherefore I de- verse 13. Wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause. Oh, man. We're about to go someplace. Are you ready? Are you ready? For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of what I've said, but also because of what I'm about to say. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, give you, impart to you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Chapter 1, he prays for us to know some things. Chapter 3, he prays for us to do something with what we know. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. For this cause, I bow my knees. Unto the Lord Jesus Christ, for whom the whole heaven, whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, give you, impart to you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height And to know experientially the love of Christ, which passeth or surpasses, is superior to knowledge. In other words, experientially knowing the love of Christ is greater than all intellectual knowledge you could possibly have. And what's the result of that? That ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. And when all of that happens, what's going to be the result? Now, unto him (laughs) that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you could ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church, world without end. Amen. 
if you know who you are in Him. And Paul prayed in Revelation, in Ephesians 1 that you would know that. Then that knowledge opens up your mind and spirit that you might know the love of Christ and understand its breadth, height, width, and depth and therefore be filled with all the fullness of God. And when you receive all of this, this is the, this is the result. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think according to the power that worketh in you. Come on. Come on. The Holy Ghost is here. We need to talk to Him right now. In Jesus' name, I speak this unto you. In Jesus' name, I speak this revelation unto you. In Jesus' name, I impart this understanding and knowledge and wisdom and unrevelation unto you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, receive it. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him so you can know who He is, who the church is, and who you are in the church. And in Jesus' name, receive the strengthening in the inner man. Receive the fullness of God through the revelation of the understanding of the love of God in your life. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, receive it. Receive it. Receive it. My God. Ha, 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 ha. Woo, my. Receive it. Receive it. Come on. We're not going any farther right now. We're, we're praying right now. We're receiving right now. Receive it. Receive it. Come on. Come on, go. Let's go. Let's go farther. Receive it. I bind this victim mentality. I command it to loose every heart, soul, mind, and spirit in this place. I bind a fearful, timid spirit that wars against us to paralyze us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we reverence you, Father. We do not, we do not fear. We do not fear what the adversary can do. We only reverence you, Father. We reverence you, Father. We believe you, Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive it. Receive his authority. Receive his power. Receive the revelation of the mystery. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, receive the revelation of the mystery. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. He cut the hyala da tiela ratata bahaya. Yea, he kayaya la rata la rata la rata batahaya. Yea, kala rata tata bahaya. Yea, kala rata tata bahaya. Yea, borrota la rata diela rocote tia kala rata tata bahaya. Yea, la maya. Yea, la rata bocorata bahaya. Come on, believe it. Come on, believe it. Come on, believe it. Receive it in Jesus' name. Come on, receive it in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. 
in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus 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 Jesus said upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it Unto thee I give the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, I've heard people, and I guess I've tried to, to make a differentiation between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. I decided to study it all over again several months ago, and I found what I found out was shocking. No other writer in the Bible used the terminology kingdom heaven except Matthew. And in the parallel verses in the other three gospels, all the other three writers of gospels use the phrase, the terminology kingdom of God. Which proves to me that the kingdom of heaven, according to Matthew, and the kingdom of God is synonymous. So Jesus said it. 
Upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Unto thee I give the keys of the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. And whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And here's what we're going to do right now for a while. I don't know how long. Here's what we're going to do. This is just a little idiosyncrasy of mine. Whatever. I pray standing up to war. I sit down and pray to exercise dominion or rule. I got both of those from Scripture. I don't make them a doctrine that you have to, if you don't do, or if I don't do, that I'm doing something wrong. It's just just a, it's just another way to communicate with my body as well as my spirit and my mouth what I'm participating in. So, therefore, I, if you're going to participate in what we're about to do, I'm asking you to stand. And here's what we're going to do. Every one of us has got situations that are heavy on our heart. People we love, situations that we're experiencing great opposition against from whatever. I realize, and I'm going to teach more about this later, but I, I feel led to do this and I'm asking you to do it. We're going to spend a few minutes and we're not going to pray in tongues. There's three primary areas that I pray in my own the language of my mind. I do prayer and praise. I do praise and, and, and worship in my language. Now you can also praise and worship in tongues, but I do praise and worship in my the language of my mind. Uh, I repent in the language of my mind. I can't repent in tongues. And I speak words of command and authority in my language. Now, I don't speak the languages that come out of me in speaking in tongues, but there are times that I have experienced in the Spirit that I am speaking words of command and authority. But since those are coming from Jesus, what he wants to say through me is his business, and I certainly am going to allow him to do that, and I'll talk more about that later. But... What I said all that to say, I am asking you initially that you would only speak in your natural language and you would speak. Okay. If you will listen, it's, it's somewhere back here. Okay. It's, I don't know any other way to put it. It's just, it's, I hear it deep, somewhere deep in me, deep. It's just, it's not, the Lord doesn't shout at me. He doesn't yell at me to give me instructions. It's, it's just a still, small, quiet voice that I've learned to be sensitive to and recognize him. And I don't mean physically back here in my back of my head. I mean, it's just, it's deep inside. It's a different level of hearing than I do with my natural ears. And if you will listen to those thoughts and impressions he will guide you into what to bind and loose. Why is that important? Because the Greek 
literally, and there's a couple of English translations that translate it like this, but the Greek literally, the tenses of the verbs and all that literally is, whatever you bind on earth shall have already been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have already been loosed in heaven. So I don't just indiscriminately bind and loose stuff. I, I'm, 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 I'm learning, learning, always learning how to be sensitive to the Lord to bind and loose what he's giving me to bind and loose. But here's why this is important. This is the keys to unlock the kingdom in the earth. And I'm a part of the church. And he's given the keys of the kingdom to the church. And we need to bind and loose. And if you don't pray binding and loosing, you're not really giving him an opportunity to use you for his kingdom's sake. Now, again, there's a lot more. This is only the second session. There's seven sessions. Uh, I will go into more what other ways that happens. But for this right now, Right now, uh, I'm asking you to let the Lord use you. There is a tremendous spirit of authority in this room right now. And if you will let the Lord speak to you and you're willing to say those things, you cannot bind a human will, but you can bind everything that is not directly a product of a human will. I cannot loose the human will, but I can loose all kind of things that will affect a person, a city, a place, the church, etc., etc., etc. And 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 you say, well, uh, we don't have the authority to command God. You're exactly right, but we aren't commanding God. We're being conduits for Him to command in the atmosphere of Earth what He wants to say, and we're His conduits for speaking that. We're not telling God what to do. We're letting God do it by speaking it through us into the Earth. This is very critical. It's very critical. It's very critical. So if I won't be a conduit and he has limited himself to only say and do these things through humans, which he has, and I can do a whole study on that if you want me to take the time, but I'd prefer you just take my word for it right now. Uh, he has bound him. He's limited himself to work through man. The scripture says he sought for a man. To stand the gap, make up the hedge, and he found one. He would have given mercy, according to Ezekiel 22, but he couldn't find anybody he could, he could work through so that mercy could be manifested. So he poured out judgment on people that he would have given mercy to, and the whole thing came down to this. The reason he poured out judgment rather than giving mercy is because he couldn't find somebody to pray through. Okay, okay. Ezekiel 22, please. I think it's verse 30. Some folks got to see it, so okay. Ezekiel 22, 30, I think. Or whatever the last two verses, the second to last verse of Ezekiel. Oh, there it is. I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land. Uh, 
that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Next verse. Therefore have I poured out mine indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord. It was the will of God to give mercy. It was the will of God to forgive rather than judge. But he needed somebody, a human that lived in this earth, to allow him to work through them as his conduit. And when he couldn't find someone, he was left with no option but to pour out his wrath. That's what we're doing here. I'm asking you right now to let the Holy Ghost begin to pray through you as you bind and loose your city, your area, your family, your co-workers, whatever. I, I don't want to put in your head what to pray. Let the Spirit of the Lord give it to you to pray. It is the will of God to have mercy. It is His will to forgive. It is His will to save. But it is also His plan to do that through man and if you're not going to let him use you then what's going to be the case what's going to happen in the name of jesus rise up holy ghost rise up boldness rise up faith in the name of jesus in the name of jesus let the Holy Ghost speak through you. Let the Holy Ghost speak through you. Let the Holy Ghost pray through you. It can still be the Holy Ghost, even if it's in the language of your mind. Even if you know what you're praying, it can still be the Holy Ghost. Pray it. Come against principalities and powers and rulers of, of darkness and wicked spirits. Come against the blindness that's keeping people lost. In the name of Jesus. Come against the efforts of the adversary to hinder. Come against the ability of the adversary to to put people in bondage and keep them in bondage. Come on. We're not in a hurry. We're not practicing. We're doing. This is not practice. We're doing. You're in an atmosphere of faith. You're in an atmosphere of authority. Let the Lord use you. Come on. Come on, the Holy Ghost is using you. The Holy Ghost is working. What's been weighing on your mind? What's been concerning you? What situation has been a problem? What, what people are grieving you with their condition, with their attitude, with their, with, with the direction they're going? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Ita Yeshu Kukie Tahanarara Tahaya Ilurubu Kushatahaya Remember who you are. Remember what you are in Christ. Remember, you're being strengthened with might by His Spirit in your inner man. You're praying through the love of Christ. It's the love of Christ praying through you. You're filled with all the fullness of God. Let the Spirit of God work through you. We're not talking in tongues right now. You you may have a burst or two come out, but we're speaking right now in our language. We're binding and loosing. Let the Lord teach you. Let Him teach you. Let Him teach you. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, come on, come on. Bind the spirit of blindness and the spirit of bondage on the souls of your area. Loose the spirit of light and revelation of truth. Bind the fear that that comes against them. Loose the spirit of the fear of the Lord upon them. In the name of Jesus. Loose, bind the spirit of error. Come against this uh, and loose the spirit of truth. Bind the spirit of disobedience. Loose the spirit of submission and obedience. In the name of Jesus, bind the spirit of religion. Loose the spirit of the the Lord Jesus Christ in truth and in faith. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on. We're not practicing, we're doing. We're not practicing, we're doing. The Lord's listening. He receives this. Let's do it. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, come on, come on, come on. The Lord will help you. Let him help you. He'll give you what to say. He'll give you what to say. In the name of Jesus. Trust him. Let him help you. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the Ekasa Atahayele. Robo Kurata Tabahai. Ye Kie Kie Kalarata Haya. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.
in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus hallelujah 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 <laughs> come on this is warfare we, we've come here to learn how to do it it's not enough to talk about it come on come on in the name of Jesus here in the next few moments there's going to be a transitioning in the spirit we're going to go from praying in English to pray or praying in our, the language of our minds to praying in another tongue as the spirit ministers and prays through us when that transition comes for you it's okay it's okay it's alright now it's okay now to let the Holy Ghost pray through you Because we're experiencing that both are valid. It is valid to pray in English, in binding and loosing. And it's valid to pray in tongues as the Spirit ministers through us. And wars through us. In the name of Jesus. Come on, there's stuff happening. Come on, the Lord's doing some things. Come on, receive it. Receive it. Believe it. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Woo! Ha ha in the name of Jesus, 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 in the name of Jesus. Come on, let the Spirit minister. Come on. It's time to pray in the Spirit. In the name of Jesus. It's time to pray in the Spirit. Come on. Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. 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 In the 
in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Manahaya. Thank you, Father. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Itanama hasi. Robokutaye ala robukaye ti di di kie. Itie itie kamamaya namahaye itamasi. Loboho rotolorobokutia mamamahasaya. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I praise your name, Father. I give glory unto your name. You are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy, Father. You are worthy. I glorify you. I magnify you. I praise you. I worship you. I adore you, Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, praise God. I have learned to obey the Lord. And when he flows, I flow. And when he stops, I stop. And I don't know what time it is. and is. I'm not looking at the clock. But we are done for today. We will come back together again tonight. You have anything that needs to be said? Um, for our overseas delegates, uh, Barnabas delegates, lunch is provided for you at zero seven zero two. So please stay back. For the rest, you can you know go back and rest and come back in the evening. If not, you're welcome to fellowship with the our Barnabas delegates. So God bless you.